0: Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. No matter what's going on in this world to distract us, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can count on Isaiah's wisdom in his chapter 54, verse 17, which says this, No weapon that is formed against you, believers in Christ, will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. So both peace and safety are the heritage of those who trust the Lord. We study the Bible to let God inculcate us with the spiritual wealth that comes to believers in Christ who hear the word of God and regard it as a foundational part of their lives. Do you? Welcome to the lesson. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. God's Son became flesh, Jesus Christ in Yeah, we're going to pause for a second. Check, check, check. Back on me. Give me some video, buddy. Yeah. So we had a little microphone issue, but we're back. So at Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He is also 100% human, just like you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. He's the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Jewish Messiah. The Lord was not sent by God the Father to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through Him. He died on a cross to make the only perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father through the shedding of his blood. And as a result of his strategic victory at the cross, we are fully and forever forgiven of our sins. I was talking to a believer in Christ this week, and he made three points about God. He said, I want to worship him, and I want to serve him, and I want to be like him. I said, well, two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) you ain't going to be like him you know that's something I think we as believers in Christ need to get in our heads we are creatures we are not the creator we're never going to be Christ-like we couldn't even remotely come close to being Christ-like because we have the flesh and so God doesn't want us to become Christ-like he wants us to become obedient and that's a big difference and that is a sufficient challenge Uh, so Christ-like is a little out of the realm. At Barab Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. As those who make Barab Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. One of the things I like asking Christians is, I say, are you a Christian? They say, yeah. And I ask them, well, what does that mean to be a Christian? You know, and they always give you the standard answers. Well, Jesus paid for my sins. Like, that's not enough. Tell me what what it means to be a Christian you know a lot of people don't don't like that we start off the lessons the same way but then when you ask them a basic question like that what does it mean to be a christian they don't have an answer the answer's right here and who jesus christ is the answer's right here and so this needs to not only be something that you're hearing but something that you take in that you bury in yourself and then you can articulate it out of your mouth being a christian means that we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. You heard it right. Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He's not a thing, and he is not a concept. And just as we do with anyone we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord. Since the Bible is his exact thinking, we come together to learn about him through the study of his mind, the word of God. God has an enemy though, Satan, and he is the ruler of planet Earth. He's the ruler of this world. He is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you. I was looking at a study from the Barna Group from 2015, and 60% of people in the United States do not believe that Satan exists. 60%. And that's an OMG moment for you, if you ever heard one. They don't believe that God has an enemy, and that's why God gets blamed for everything. Well, the ruler of this world is a liar, and he deceives the whole world successfully, including you. He doesn't want you to get to know God, and he interferes with your chance to know God. But the word of God is truth, and by studying it, we stay aware of Satan's insidious deceptions, As believers in Christ, we're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. Today's Bible lesson, if you want to know the Lord, you have to examine the evidence. If you want to know the Lord, you have to examine the evidence. What does Jesus Christ have to do to prove himself to you? What does Jesus Christ have to do to prove that he is God? because so many people contest that. Well, for the Jews in the wilderness, even the parting of the Red Sea was not enough. In today's lesson, we'll continue our look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll get a cautionary tale about a well-loved and well-cared-for group, the Jews, who took their eyes off the evidence. And just as we do every month, we'll remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by celebrating the Lord's Supper And we'll learn that his work on the cross made Jesus peerless. There is no one like him. There never has been. There never will be. He is peerless. All right. So let's hear some music. One thing the Lord Jesus Christ did to prove that he is God is he was resurrected from the dead. And as a result of our union with Christ, we have access to the same power. Here's Chris Tomlin to describe this power in song. It's called Resurrection Power.
1: You called me from the grave by name. You called me out of all my shame. I see the old is past
0: Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for giving us everything we need to thrive in Satan's kingdom. Help us keep our focus on what you are able to do and not what the propaganda of the world tells us to rob us of hope. Help us to keep our eyes on the path you preordained in eternity past that we would walk in it. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, if you want to know the Lord, you have to examine the evidence. If you want to know the Lord, you have to examine the evidence. Well, the passage under study extends from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, and if you're sick of hearing about idols and idol meat and idol worship, then you need to take it up with God the Holy Spirit because He has spent quite a few lessons on this because He thinks you need it. And I think you know by now that this isn't about idol meat that happened in the first century of Corinth. It's about the idols that we've taken on in our own lives. And this whole COVID farce, pandemic farce, has brought to light what all our idols are because all of our idols have been taken away from us. One of my idols is rearing its ugly head today. Football is back, y'all. So happy. I'm so happy. That's why if you notice this lesson is a little shorter than most of the lessons, everybody's saying, thank God football's back. Oh, my goodness. No, it's not going to be shorter, but uh, it's, it's good to have that diversion. I like seeing people hit each other. It helps me take out my frustrations, and I like yelling at the television set, but those things are idols, right? These are the things we do to take our eyes off Jesus. And if you notice the lives of people, what we do is there are these things that are vital in our lives. And we don't spend too much time on the vital. We spend a lot of time on the urgent. And then all of a sudden, when the horses escape, now we're going over to close the barn door. See? So, for example, your body. I mean, how much attention do you pay to your body? I'm reading this book by uh, Tom Brady, who's a famous quarterback. He's 43 years old, and he's still playing in the NFL. And one of the, you know, I just read the opening of it, but he's talking about the muscles being pliable. Now, I play golf, so I know one thing about myself. My muscles are not pliable, right? You know, I, I I can turn for about eight holes and then all of a sudden it gets real stiff out and then getting up and down for the next three or four days is really tough can I get an amen yeah cuz our congregation average age is 92 years old up in here so I know I'm gonna get an amen for that so uh, but it, it just goes to show you that it doesn't really take that much to be pliable you know it takes a little concentration every day maybe 30 minutes to care for your body but why would you do that you know your body is your body is vital so why would you care for it why would you eat right why would you learn how to eat nobody's taught us how to eat if we're on the planet for ninety years we're going to be eating for ninety years three meals a day why would you learn what's good to put in your mouth and what's not and if you read a label if you want a, a depressing experience just read a label and everything in there is an oath and an all right and all that means is poison and poison right and but we don't take care of ourselves why because we're so busy with the idols that we're not paying any attention to the vital and then the time we pay attention to the vital is when we're hurt when we got to go to the hospital and that's one of the things that Brady was talking about he said there's a cycle in football you get well you get hurt You get surgery, you rehab, you play again, you get hurt, you get surgery, you get rehab, you play again. How about if you did a little preventive stuff so that you didn't have to go through that? Well, I want to know about that, because I know in my 65 years here, I haven't been too focused on my body or myself. And I don't think that's smart. And whatever the idols were that took me away from that, they're not worth it. And so we really need to think about that. And that's what Paul is getting at here when he's talking to the Corinthians. He's talking to them about how they came out of paganism into Christianity and now they want to go back to the sewer and play in paganism again. And he's going to use the Jews in the wilderness as an example as a cautionary tale to us. And see, here's the cool thing about cautionary tales. When I was a kid, My mom didn't have to tell me twice about what to not do. If she said don't do it, it didn't get done. You know why? Because the one time that she told me not to do something and I did it, I got busted in the head down to the white meat, right over here, 24 stitches inside, 24 stitches outside. And that was one of the greatest lessons ever, and it, was, it came at the perfect time, eight years old. And after that, I didn't have any teen rebellion. My mom said, you call me at 10 o'clock. That phone was ringing at 10 o'clock. My mom said, tell me the places you're going. I told her the places I was going, and I was there. And When I got there, I called. Why? Because you don't have to warn me anymore. I already got my one experience. I got the warning, and then after that, I was good. See, and I don't think that's the way it is for most of us. I think for, for most of us, you know, we are so focused on our idols, and then we come out of that because something busts us in the head down to the white meat. Then we come out for a little while and we're really good, and then we go running right back to the sewer. Right? because we we treat it as a cookie jar experience. Okay, yeah, I stuck my hand in the cookie jar, I got a lot of cookies out, then one day I got my fingers slammed in the cookie jar, but you never know if I can get another cookie out of there. And that's human beings. This is our condition. And that's what we're being warned about here. And we're we're having a perfect example of this, which is the Jews. And so I want to know. If you want to know the Lord, you have to examine the evidence. What does God have to do to prove himself to you? Because he's done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in your life, whether you recognized it or not. Do you believe him yet? All right, so chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians is the strongest part of Paul's argument against partaking of idle meat. Let's look at the passage verse by verse. 1 Corinthians 10.1. I gave you a lot of setup for this in the last lesson. I, Paul, do not want you to be unaware, my Corinthian brethren, that our Jewish ancestors were all under the cloud of protection and they all passed through the Red Sea. <coughs> Excuse me. They delivered the Jews from slavery to their Egyptian captors who, after letting the Jews go because God visited them with 10 plagues, changed their minds. See, they didn't learn. They didn't look at the evidence. 10 plagues. The last plague, I think, was the, the firstborn of, of every Egyptian family was killed. I mean, that's a pretty convincing one. I, I wouldn't have had to have 10, but they had to have 10. And on the 10th, they let them go. And then what did they do? They changed their minds. And so they come after them. So after sending the Jews out from Egypt, the enemy of the Jews, the Egyptians, changed their mind and came to bring them back. Because they figured it out. Like, who's going to do the work? Who's going to do the work? So the Egyptians pursued the Jews to the Red Sea. Now, the Red Sea is analogous to salvation. The Jews were trapped. There was no way for them to get out of this predicament on their own. There was the Red Sea in front of them. There was the Egyptians behind them. They were doomed. But the Lord parted the Red Sea. The Jews walked across on dry land. And when the Egyptians followed them into the Red Sea, the Lord drowned the Egyptians. And they're still, as I told you last week, finding chariot parts in the Red Sea. That is a true situation. It's not a parable It's not a story to give us an example. It's the truth. The Bible is the truth. In a completely hopeless situation, the Lord delivered the Jews, and the Jews were saved. Now the Jews were in the wilderness. The Jews forgot about the deliverance from slavery at the Red Sea. They forgot about the parting of the Red Sea. They ignored the evidence of what God had done to save them. They had a cloud following them at night. They had... um, no, they had a, a pillar of fire following them at night, which is an indication of the Lord's presence. They had a cloud following them in the day, which is an indication of the Lord's presence. And what's the first thing they start doing? Whining that there's no water. And they're telling Moses, what did you do? Did you bring us out here to the desert to kill us? Well, there's no water. Okay, well, Moses said, well, look, we'll just call Evian or DeSanti. You know, maybe we can do that. We get some trucks of water up in here for you guys. Maybe a little Fiji water. I don't know. Maybe you don't like alkaline water. We'll get you the non alkaline water. <laughs> no, that's not what he did. The Lord told Moses to tap a rock with his staff. He told him exactly how to do it. Moses didn't do it that way. And so. The Lord took him in, gave him a spanking, and said, now go back and do it like I said. He tapped the rock, and water comes out. And that water, that, uh, out, of the, out of the rock, and that rock is following them. So they had the water. But what are they doing? They're whining. And then the first thing they do is, I miss Egypt. I miss Egypt. What do you miss about Egypt? I like the food over there. Okay, I've been to Egypt. The food is not that good, okay? It is not. So, But they miss the food. Why are we in the wilderness? It's called freedom. Hello? You were 400 years of slavery. It's called freedom. They completely forgot about it. And so now the Lord gives them water so they're not thirsty. And they're still complaining. After the wilderness journey, the Jews would be in their very own land, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel. And Israel is analogous to eternity. It is the promised land. It's the place that is exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And so they were promised a long time ago in Old Testament scripture that they would have their own land, and then they got their own land. He delivered. Why can't they see the evidence? And that's with us. Why can't we see the evidence? Why do we ignore the evidence? Look, when you drink a bottle of Of soda, and it has a lot of high fructose corn syrup in it, you feel like crap. You feel like crap because the stuff is poison and it's addictive. You feel horrible. As much as I like Bosa donuts, right after I eat a Bosa donut, and it's nothing against Bosa and it's nothing against donuts, I feel lousy. My body doesn't like that stuff. It just doesn't. We notice that stuff. We notice how lethargic we get. We notice that when we don't exercise, how stiff we feel. Those things are vital, but we don't pay attention to them. We ignore the evidence. So, after the wilderness journey, the Jews were going to get to the Promised Land, a place that was beyond anything they could ever ask or think. 1 Corinthians 10.2 Our Jewish ancestors all were baptized into Moses, in the cloud, and in the sea. They learned that Moses' program was pretty good. They were identified with Moses. The Jews were identified with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. Abraham is the father of the Jewish race. Moses is the father of the Jewish nation. Only Moses, for his little rod-tapping incident, didn't actually get to go into the Promised Land. He got smacked. 1 Corinthians 10.3 and all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna from heaven, in unity. Manna was dropping down from the sky every day. It was the perfect food. It had all of the nutrients that they wanted. Now, it may not have been as delicious as those pork chops that they were having over in Egypt. But it got the job done, but they were whining about that. 1 Corinthians 10.4 And all drank the same spiritual drink in unity. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock, the one struck by Moses' rod. A rock that was following them and the real rock was Christ. Supernatural food and drink were delivered by the power of God. The Jews should have seen the gift from heaven as evidence of God's continuing provision. And that's what's so funny to me about systematic theology, which is one of the one of the nuisance things that I came through to get to grace. I was a Roman Catholic. I learned that that I should feel sorry for my sins. Well, I did, and that didn't help. And I kept sinning, so I had more and more to feel sorry for. Then I go into systematic theology, and it tells me, you got to follow the law. I couldn't. So now I had even more to feel bad about. Fifty years of that. Fifty years of that. Oh, yes. Pastor, you're talking to us about going back to the sewer. Why did you stay in the sewer for 50 years? So I could come up here and teach y'all what it's like to be in the sewer. Amen? <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe somebody who had never been in the hood telling you what the hood was like. That's like my kids trying to be hood rats. You know, they are spoiled rich kids. And they try to act all... All black and proper and stuff like that. (laughs) They don't know what the hood is. You know what? I realized something. My kids will never be able to relate to me because they didn't experience the life that I experienced. They don't know what it's like to get up every morning wondering if you're going to make it home that day alive. They don't know what that's like. And you can't explain it. You can't explain that to anybody. They don't know me. And that's all right, because I was trying to make it that they could have it better than, <laughs> better than I did, right? That, that's the baby boomer mantra. I just want my kids to have it better than I did, and, you, and they did real well. And that's why we have this generation of worthless people, the millennials, <laughs> who don't, don't have the slightest idea what work ethic is. I'm kidding. The millennials are awesome. But seriously... The work ethic thing, that's, that's the truth. All right. So the Jews should have seen the evidence. He got them through the Red Sea. Once they got into the desert, you know, it's like, oh, do you think God knew that we would need water? The body is 70% water. Do you think he knew that they would need water going across the desert? He knew. You know, that's why we, we need to recycle we need to help God with the planet. We need to take care of global warming because we need to help God with the planet. Because God was going to send, God the Father is going to send his son to die for us. And then he's going <laughs> he's not going to give us enough water. He's, got, he's not going to take care of our, our basic needs after he did the tough thing, which was saving us. Come on, man. Come on. This is what we genuinely think as people. We always think we have to help God. He doesn't need our help. He's the perfect architect. He thought of everything, and he always delivers. Why didn't they see the evidence? Well, they did see the evidence. They just ignored it. Do you ignore the evidence that you see about God in your life? Are you aware that God always provides for you? Always, we got a real life example. June Murphy. I can't even. I, honestly, I have faith. Believe me, I have faith. But I never saw this coming with June because a year ago she's falling down. You know, she's trying to bring me the the clicker after a song. She's falling down. Down goes Fraser. Down goes Fraser. She's falling down. She's stumbling back. We're calling 911. They sent 18 people over here to carry her out of here. You know, and then she's sitting there the whole time. Who's the president of the United States, uh, Ms. Murphy? Obama. Yeah, eight years ago. Thanks. Okay, where are we right now? <laughs> where are we right now, June? Topeka. Oh, hell no. You haven't been in Topeka in 10 years. What are you saying? You know, she's, she's gone. I'm sending her jokes. I'm sending her the Looney Tunes theme because she's gone. And then a year later, she's doing laps around the church and she looks so, so vibrant, so alive, so happy. We were so worried about her. Did you see the miracle? Did you see the deliverance? Because I did. What does God have to do to prove himself? And this is, this is not a miracle. It's a miracle to us, but to him, it's a routine day at the office. It's something that he planned a billion years ago. We worried about Larry going into surgery? No, we're not. Why was he? Why was he on that morning worried about it? Popping PVC's. Don't worry. We've seen it over and over and over, the deliverance of the Lord. Let's pay attention to the evidence. He delivered. He saved a wretch like me, amen? That amen was for the wretch part, right? (laughs) (laughs) So supernatural food and drink, they ignore the evidence. And here's what I want to know. Okay, ignore God. Ignore the evidence. But do your idols provide for you? Do they give you anything? Has an idol ever paid your mortgage? No. But God has. Every penny you have to your name, every possession you have to your name, every blessing of the family, all of it, God did it. First Corinthians 10, 5. Nevertheless, with most of our Jewish ancestors, God was not well pleased and they were laid low in the wilderness. They were taken out, dead. God satisfied their needs too, even though he wasn't pleased with them. He provided for people who were rejecting him. Do you do the same in your human relationships? I know people who do. And even those people that I know who do, I'm always advising them not to do it. Stop doing it. You know, and there's nothing Christian about that advice. But I'm telling them, quit it. Here, here's how you can torture them. I'm telling them all these things they can do to hurt them back. It's not very Christian of me, but that's the Holy Spirit's power. See, the Holy Spirit makes me not want to do that, even though I do it. Amen? There's this part of me that doesn't want to do it. 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now, these things in the wilderness happened as examples for us, so that we wouldn't have the cravings for evil, just as they also craved evil. And that's the thing. We talked about self-restraint a couple weeks ago. The, the flesh in you is more powerful than you, and it wants to control you, And you have to control it back with self-restraint. You have to control it back by knowing you can do all things through Christ, not through yourself, but through Christ who strengthens you. Only Joshua and Caleb made it to Israel, the promised land. And Paul wants the Corinthian believers to learn from this example. The Corinthians wanted to eat idol meat. They wanted to mix paganism with Christianity. And Paul is warning them. Here's how they further ignored the evidence about God's perfect provision. Acts chapter 7, verse 31. These are the Jews. At that time, they made a golden calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and rejoicing in the works of their hands. Instead of worshiping this God who got them through the Red Sea, who was following them through the wilderness, who was dropping the manna every day so they could have things to eat, who was sprouting the rock from the rock water that they could drink, what did they do? They got all their gold together, melted it, and made a molten idol, a calf of gold, and started worshiping it, right? And that's the equivalent of worshiping football. You know what? I just had a revelation. I'm not even watching the game today, amen? I'm just kidding, I'm watching the But you get the point. Laura Story asks, in one of her amazing songs, Blessing. What if trials of this life are God's mercies in disguise? What do you mean, what if? They are. Are you noticing the evidence? He gives you trials and they are the mercies. Well, Paul continues with a command in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7. He says, do not become idolaters, as some of them were, as it stands written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. They were celebrating. 1 Corinthians ten eight. Now, nor let us act immorally in fornication, as some of them did, with extramarital sex and orgies, and 23,000 of the Jewish ancestors died in one day. God put a stop to that crap. The celebration of the day involved eating meat, sacrifice to idols, orgy, and bowing down to pagan gods or self-created gods. And the real God, a jealous God, was not pleased. 1 Corinthians 10.9 Nor let us tempt the Lord, don't tug on Superman's cape, as some of the Jewish ancestors did, and they were decimated, bitten, and killed by snakes. God doesn't want us to be like the Jews in the wilderness. The warning is just because we are saved does not mean that God can't take us out. And he will take us out for our own good. 1 Corinthians 10:10. Do not grumble as some of them did, and were decimated by the destroyer angel. And one of these days we may study it. It's the Meribah incident where they were complaining and whining in the desert. 1 Corinthians 10:11. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our inspiration, a warning against certain activity, idol worship, eating idol meat, idolizing things, upon whom the ends of the age have come. And look, we don't just idolize things, we idolize people. Family comes first. Family comes first. How many times have you heard that dumb expression? Family comes first. What about the Creator? What about the guy who created you? Because a man's enemies will be the members of his ho- own household. Don't tell me that you don't have family problems. Because believe me, everybody does. We all got that one person in the family that we all think we picked up the wrong kid at the hospital. Amen? <laughs> he did it on purpose. Of course he did. He get, The trials of this life are his mercies in disguise. Amen? So, now these things happen to them as an example, 1 Corinthians ten, eleven, And they were written for our instruction, a warning against certain activity, among, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The ends of the ages. That's the transition from the old to the new. It's the transition to the fullness of times, which we are in right now. It's the transition to the veil of the temple being torn and lifted and new things have come. The Jews in the wilderness became cautionary tales for church-age believers. And Paul warns us about arrogance. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed so that he does not fall. And that was the Corinthians. They think they stand. They were all into knowledge. Remember, they were right near Greece and all the philosophers. And they were all into philosophy and knowledge and intellect. And all this grace crap of Christianity did not make sense to them. All this worship, uh, a resurrected deity, all that stuff did not make sense to them. Well, people of God in every age are warned not to tempt God. We are not to have false assurance by thinking that God won't discipline his own. No pagan banquets, no idol meat. No overconfidence. Fidelity to God and God alone because he is a jealous God. Now a final reminder and one of my favorite verses ever. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you but the kind of temptation that is common to human beings. God the Father is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you'll be able to endure it so that you'll be able to handle it. So regardless of the temptations you experience toward idolatry and idols, God always gives you a way out. Will you choose it? You know, why do we have so many empty seats at Barah Ministries? Well, because there are people out there who need Barah Ministries and aren't taking those seats. But they will not be able to say when they're standing in front of Jesus Christ that there was no place for them to worship. And there are people who live within a five-mile radius of this place who need Jesus Christ. And the place is here preaching Jesus Christ. And they don't know about it. They haven't sought it out. If somebody told them about it, they didn't follow up on it. And it's right here for them every week. Because let's face it, sitting here and having a well dug for you before you are thirsty, having the truth of the Word of God put in your soul before you need it is not quite as exciting as watching football. Amen? But tell me what a football game does for you when you're sitting in a hospital wondering if you're going to make it through the, through the day. does nothing for you. What is a football game to you when you hit the hospice? Nothing. That's the truth. So, regardless of the temptation you experience, God gives you a way out. Will you take it? What Paul is suggesting was not easy for the Corinthians. They faced ostracism by being different in the way Paul suggests. They fit right in if they were eating idle meat. If they weren't eating idol meat, they were different. How many of you are different? And how many of you are criticized by your family because you're different? Well, Paul wants, you know, know, the way I look at it, if I got to be like all of them, I'd rather be dead. Well, Paul wants us not to ignore the evidence about what the Lord is doing for us. When we return from our five-minute break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper.
1: Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite We'll all I never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about. Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked twelve outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose But Jesus. so let me go down, down,
2: down in history. As another blood faithful member of a
1: family. And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine me. I'm living for the world to see. Nobody but Jesus. So let me.
0: Bible lesson, if you want to know the Lord, you have to examine the evidence. If you want to know the Lord, you have to examine the evidence. Well, God's will for his believers in Christ is that we are generous in every respect, that we give and not to count the cost, except the cost of knowing that we are doing the will of God. Give generously. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. hoo <laughs> hoo
3: Good morning. I'm Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries. Barra Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. We are real people who come to listen to a real pastor, teach the real truth from the Word of God. And last week, after pastor's lessons, saying that the Lord has zero tolerance for idolatry, I was kind of questioning it a little bit. I was thinking, I don't know, he seems really patient. You see these people all around us, you know, from Corinth to this day that have just been divided from Christ, who've been separated from Christ by all the different things. You know, back then it was the universities and all the, the, all the different thought processes they had and all the different stuff from around the world, I'm sure, and they were just being pulled away from, from Christ, pulled away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, right? And it's happening to this day. pastor brought it up already, football, mm-hmm. NFL. Uh, my first example was going to be actually like working out because we have time in our life and all of a sudden we're going to start working out under the guise of oh it's good for me it's very healthy so it's okay if I take time away from Christ to do this stuff for my body right and so football along the same lines is very sinister because everybody likes it kids like it adults you know kids do adults women men and women like it so it's one of those it's okay we can all just take the whole day off and go out and spend the whole day and barbecue and hang out because it's a family event it's good for us it's unity but It's really disunity from God. And after last week's lesson, I realized that anything that's not for God is against God. So even just not coming to church is against God. And yesterday would have been my grandpa's 100th birthday. And he was Grandpa John. He was uh, U.S. Marine Corps. I'll try not to get choked up. But he landed on Tarawa, Saipan, and Iwo Jima and really shouldn't be alive. But... When America called, when um, Pearl Harbor happened, he went to California and enrolled, enlisted, because he had unity with his country. And what I thought about was, you know, he came back, and a lot of the military came back to parades, but they didn't see everybody there. You know, you would think that the whole the whole country would want to show up and show their support. So what is a soldier to think when they people don't show up? They must not support me. Right? And so... I, I feel what pastor feels when he sees empty seats, because what does he do assume where people are? I'm sure some of them are listening, but if, if they're not here, we just assume maybe they're out getting ready for the NFL game. You know, they're out working out. They're not doing things that are helping Christ. And it's easy to say because, oh, it's for the family, we're doing this. Or, oh, it's for my body, we're doing this. Or, but, you know, when people went off to, to war and fought, they were doing for the unity of this country. And I see after this that um, it seems like idolatry is poison because of this disunity that it inspires. And so it's easy to think, you know, let's just do this thing for fun or whatever it is. But when people show up here, like Norbert, he drives an hour to get here. That's 100% commitment. That is confirmed. He's here for Christ. He's here for himself as well. But he's here for his pastor, and he's here to support this ministry. And that's very clear. It's not clear when people aren't here. It's not clear when people don't show up and they do other things. And so, I kind of strayed from my verse a little bit, but 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 says the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Not just kind of give a slap on the hand. He said destroy the works of the devil. And so, us as ambassadors, as Christians, as divine ambassadors, I should say, what we do matters to the outside world. If we're out there drinking and lying and gossiping and treating people poorly, what do they think a Christian is? That's not a good representation. And so it's really easy to think, ah, it doesn't matter right now. Just go go to the NFL game and drink all day, and then tomorrow I'll catch up. But that has impact on other people. They see how you act. They see what you're doing. And then when you come at them talking about Christ and being holy and, and uh, redeemed and all this stuff, they don't, they don't buy it. So I think it really matters where we spend our time, our talent, and our treasure because it's not time or talent or treasure. All three come along with you wherever you go. And so we really appreciate when people show up here and put their time, their talent, and their treasure at the offering because that's another symbol of unity. We put all of our finances together in one basket for Christ. And that's not disunity. And that's what the Lord loves, is unity, not disunity. So thank you for always supporting this pastor, this ministry, and myself as well, because we truly appreciate it and we want to we wanna start helping more people. And we want to be more unified with more people and take on more problems because we're not worried and we have faith. And I thought of something you said. People can't relate to you if you've never had faith or if you've never been to the ghetto. But I also feel like it's kind of the same thing. People that haven't been in this ministry don't know what Tony's ride was like. And they didn't see the faith that was required through that. And again with June, those that weren't here don't have the first-hand account of what it was like. She was really down. And now she's a complete 180-degree difference. And I feel like you, you lost 10 years of your age. She's, she's like 10 years younger all of a sudden. And it just shows that You can't, if you're not here to see it, you don't see that faith. You don't see what she went through and what what all of us went through. And so it really matters to be here and it really matters to be present. So thank you for everybody that is, and I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Goodall? Does he sound more like a pastor every day with his messages? They're amazing. The Lord's Supper celebration is next at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated that he is peerless. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated that he is peerless. And if you don't know what peerless means, it means he has no equal. He has no friend. He has no peer. Nobody's like him. And, you know, I think your offering message was fantastic, Deacon Denny, because, you know, if, if you give one hour, if you set aside one focused hour a day for the Lord, that's seven hours a week. That's nothing. That's amazing. And the spiritual life component of you deserves that, that amount of time. You know, I always kind of worry that, you know, my lessons go kind of long. I mean, it's a couple hours. I know it's hard to sit and listen for a couple hours. But think about it. This two hours is putting stuff into you that's going to be amazing as you make the decisions of your life. That's what it's all about. So, you know, great message. And... You know, once you get the seven hours in, then if you're watching football, what's the big deal? God doesn't expect you to give him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He knows that you have another life. He put you in this kingdom for a purpose. And part of that purpose is being amongst all the things of this world so that you know what they're like. So you can, you can tell people who are, who are worshiping those things that there's something else to worship. So, great message. Welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian way of living. The Lord demonstrates his desire for a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with his believers by creating a way to keep on sharing his body and his blood with us, just as he did with the apostles the night before his death. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this. When the hour had come, and his crucifixion was near the Lord Jesus Christ reclined at the Passover table and the apostles reclined with him Luke 22:15 And the Lord said to the apostles I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer Luke 22:16 For I the Lord Jesus Christ say to you that I shall never again eat this Passover meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God the Father in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, On behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. The Lord's Supper celebration is a time when the resident members of this congregation join hands through the miles with our non-resident congregation members and we demonstrate our unity by remembering our Lord together. This celebration is one that we set aside time for. This is not something to do on the fly. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers in Christ to look back to the cross for a moment. He wants us to remember how he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He wants us to remember the sacrifice of shedding his blood to cover our sins. He wants us to remember the deliverance to the resurrection life he orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. And most of all, the Lord wants his believers to look forward with anticipation that he is coming again. I do the exact same thing with my mom. I look back and I look at all the things she taught me I look back and I look at our relationship and how we developed it over the years. I look back at all the trials and tribulations I went through that she protected me from. And I look forward with anticipation to seeing her again in heaven. This is something that we do with our relatives and with our friends who have gone on before us. And there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't do the same thing with the Lord. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, just to look back and to have the sweet fragrance of memory that remind us of the so great salvation we have and the so great future that is a certainty for us. As believers in Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? This month we acknowledge that at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated that he is peerless, Those of us who call Bara Ministries home know that we study the Bible from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. Man's interpretation of God does not capture the essence of God. If you have ever asked anyone the question in Matthew chapter twenty-two, verse forty-two, "What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he?" You have heard various answers, most of them completely erroneous. He's a great man. He's a great teacher. He's a great Jewish rabbi, he's a prophet, he is not God. He did not live a sinless life, he's a fairy tale. Did you ever stop to think that man's answer about who Jesus Christ is, whether they are for him or against him, does not matter? Did you ever stop to think that man's answer about what happened at the cross, which we believers know was the perfectly satisfactory payment for the sins of the whole world, made by Jesus Christ through shedding his blood. Whether people believe this or not does not matter. Human thoughts, whether for or against Christ, do not alter the truth about Christ one bit. I don't believe you heard me, even though you said amen, so I'm going to say it again. (laughs) Human thoughts, whether for or against Christ, do not alter the truth about Christ one bit. I, thank you. <laughs> I would love it if the people I love and admire most would truly get to know me. Many people who know me know about me. The people who are close to me, they know about me, but they don't know me. Zachary came up to me while Deacon Denny was giving his message and he said, I may not understand what it's like to be in the ghetto, but I know you. <laughs> Well, I agree with his assessment. Well, so it is with Christ. We can know him if we want to know him, but most of us just know about him. To us, he was a thing. He's a concept in our mind. He's a genie. We rub the lamp and he gives us the magic of salvation, and maybe he'll grant three wishes. We use buzzwords and catchphrases to describe him. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. I remember like it was yesterday when I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. All because of you, Lord. The magnificence of Jesus Christ can't be appreciated through the intellect. He can only be known through the mind and the heart as the Holy Spirit gives clarity to us to know him. Do you know the Omnipresent One? the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has known you and who has been with you for every moment of your lives? Do you really know him, not just about him? Do you know him? Is he real to you? Is he more than just a doctrinal checkbox that you check off every week so that you can be a good Christian? When we look back at the cross during the Lord's Supper celebration, As we remember who hung there, we must look at Jesus Christ from God's perspective as well. What are God the Father's thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ? What does deity think about deity? What is God the Father's perspective about his Son, the one who became flesh and tabernacled among us? I envisioned as I wrote that God the Father looking down for those three hours when there was darkness that he put around the cross, so that people couldn't really look at the suffering that his son was going through. I wonder what that was like for him. Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 to 11. Talk about the, the, the divine viewpoint. The God the Father viewpoint of his magnificent son. It says, being found in appearance as a man. Jesus humiliated himself. You want to put that up? He humiliated himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2.9. For this reason also God the Father highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every other name. Philippians 2.10. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven, of those who are on the earth, and of those who are under the earth. Philippians 2.11. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God the Son. He is deity to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, God the Father wants the whole world to see Christ just as he is. The Father wants the whole world to see Christ just as he sees Christ. And the Father's plan is already in place to bring that reality to pass. See, right now, everybody has their opinions. Man has their opinions about who Christ is. Oh, he's not God. Yeah, he's my personal savior. We're past the potato chips. It's a football game on, right? But God the Father has a plan in place where every single person's sole focus at a moment in time is going to be the Christ. Everybody, he will be the football game. Everybody will be watching. Everybody, billions and billions of souls that have come here to earth over the years will be all focused in that one place. Jesus. Jesus alone is sinless. Jesus alone is holy. Jesus alone is the Lord. Jesus alone is the name above all other names. Jesus alone is the one to whom every knee will bow. In all of the created universe, the Lord Jesus Christ has no peer. He stands alone. The one we worship is one of a kind, and he is at the top of the universe. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no confusion on earth. People are not confused about what it takes to be saved because there's only one name by which we must be saved, and that's the Christ. Well, what's the God, the Holy Spirit's perspective on God the Son? Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 to 17 say this, Jesus said to the apostles, but who do you say I am? He, asked, he had asked, who do other people say I am? And he had gotten all these false answers. And he said to them, now, who do you say I am? And... Simon Peter said this, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son, the living God. Peter is looking at God from God's perspective. Matthew 16, 17, Jesus said to, people, Pe- to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon's son of Jonah, because flesh and blood, a human, did not reveal this to you. Because that kind of information doesn't come from humans. You're always worried about your evangelism efforts. Your evangelism doesn't come from you. It comes from God the Holy Spirit. My Father who is in heaven revealed this to you, Peter, through God the Holy Spirit. Our offering song honors Jesus every week. There is none like you. So true. And to the degree that we see with God the Father's eyes, to the degree that we see with God the Holy Spirit's eyes as we look at Jesus, to this degree we have the chance to really know Him because God the Father and God the Holy Spirit make Him known to us from the inside and from the out so that we can have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Him. We have yet to meet our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ face to face, yet the revelation of Him by God the Holy Spirit makes Him as real to us as if we were seeing Him every day. Learning about Him during Bible study fills us up in an invisible way with all the fullness of Him. And the fullness in us that is installed in every Bible study only becomes apparent when we hear a song that moves us and tears come streaming forth for a a seemingly unexplained reason. The reason is the fullness of he who is indwelling us coming to the fore. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says this, God the Father willed to make known the glorious riches of a mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you, the hope, the absolute confidence of our future glory. And because we believers in Christ are in union with Christ, we share everything that is Christ, including his glory. And we look forward with confidence to meeting him face to face and living with him forever. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19 says this, I, Paul, pray for you believers in Christ to know, deeply know, the unconditional love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God the Father. As we get to know the Lord, We realize that no matter how much we know Him, we want to know more. He fills our minds and our hearts with questions about Himself so that we will keep on eagerly seeking to know Him. And even though we will live with Him for all eternity in heaven, we will always have the deep desire to know Him more deeply, more personally, more intimately. Our monthly look back at the cross, increases our curiosity about what would have motivated Jesus to pay for the sins of all mankind in such a public and gruesome manner. And the only answer, the simple answer is this, love. He loved us unconditionally. There is no merit on our part when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit does all the work. He introduces us to the Lord with the gospel message. He convicts us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He invites us to believe, and he makes our desire to believe effective for salvation. When we believe, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, identifying us with the Christ, and places us into a forever unity with him, a fellowship, that we cannot, no way, not know how, ever get out of. Well, what happens when we turn our attention away from the cross, away from Jesus, and fix our eyes on the world? What happens is that we get caught up in the eddy of the world. And if you don't know what an eddy is, it's a whirlpool. And if you think about the whirlpool, it just keeps spinning us around and spinning us around until until it takes us right down the toilet. That's what happens when you take your eyes off Jesus. You get all caught up about the masks and all caught up about, oh, look, they took this away from me and they took that away from me and isn't it awful and oh my goodness. And then you look in your life and God hasn't missed a beat. You haven't missed a mortgage payment. You haven't missed a rent payment. You haven't missed a meal. He doesn't miss a beat. He drops the business right in your lap. He he drops everything right in your lap. Every time you give at the offering, you give and, you know, you, you get the alligator arm give. You know, you go, okay, well, but $20, that's a lot of money. And you, you alligator arm it out there. And then what do you find out? He puts 100 back in your account, same week. You think you're doing something for him and he's not going to do something back? That's the God we have. Faithful God. Always delivering. Even when we're goofy. And we forget that the person we're in union with always gets what he wants. I don't believe you heard me, so I'm going to say it again. The person we're in union with always gets what he wants. And I know what you've been saying. Well, we'll see what happens after the election. What do you think's going to happen after the election? The same thing that happened before the election. A bunch of human beings who think they know better than God are going to be trying to take over the world a world that they couldn't handle if he gave it to them. He already gave their ruler the world, and he can't handle it. That's what's going to happen after the election. It doesn't matter who gets in. The same thing is going to happen. Nothing. And God's just going to keep delivering. Our God always gets what he wants. He is peerless in that way as well. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 says this, declaring the end from the beginning. That's what our God does. He declares the end from the beginning. One of these days, he's going to say, okay, enough of this crap. And declaring from ancient times, things which have been done, saying this, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh, my good pleasure. That makes me excited. I almost turned me Pentecostal up in here. Amen. Oh, my good pleasure. God the Father wants the whole world to see Jesus Christ just as he is. And the Father's plan is already in place to bring this reality to pass. Let us open our spiritual eyes and see the evidence that's right in front of us. Well, let's enjoy the elements. Let's remember Jesus in the way he told us to remember him. So obeying our Lord's command, we keep on celebrating the Christ and his cross regularly. We eat to remember who he is as a person, and we drink to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us. And we remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28 say this. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is being broken for you. Matthew 26:27. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, Jesus gave it to them and said this. Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of a new and everlasting covenant, a New Testament, blood being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's listen to the Lord. Let's keep on eating this bread. Let's keep on drinking this cup. Let's do both to remember Him. And let's keep on being transformed by His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection from the dead, and His Word. John chapter 20, verse 21 says this. These things written in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. Hillsong worship sings praises to the name of Jesus in their song. What a beautiful name. of our lesson, are the closing moments of our lesson always, the closing message of the study is in many ways the most important message of the study. We want you to know that God wants you. What he wants is a relationship with you, and he wants you to make the most important decision of your life. First and foremost, this message is for the benefit of believers in Christ. First Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says this, believers, sanctify Christ as the Lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you the absolute confidence provided by your faith in Christ and give the defense with gentleness and respect second this message is for unbelievers so you can be saved because whether you know it or not you were born a sinner you're born physically alive but spiritually dead and that's bad news for you sinners need a savior well, the good news is that this gospel message offers you the chance to make the most important decision of your life. Really only three things you need to know. This is going to be the shortest of the gospel messages you've heard this year, the only three things you need to know. And I'm going to start testing you believers in Christ here on those three things, and I want you to be able to recite them from memory, because there are only three things. Now, the Apostle Paul gives... Unbelievers, the first piece of vital information concerning who Jesus Christ is and what he did that is significant to them. Another of the things that makes him peerless, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 say this, I, Paul, deliver to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and then he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. The most important decision unbelievers must make is outlined in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. This is the second thing you need to know. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And the third thing is a warning. The most important warning unbelievers must heed comes from John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. Unbelievers, take the free gift of eternal life right now. There's no time to waste. Unbelievers, God wants you. Believers, spread the good news, these three things, to everyone you love and to everyone you don't know, now, not later, and do it over and over And over and over again until they get sick of you doing it. And when they get sick of you doing it, do it again. Well, the final song, the closing song. The Lord Jesus Christ is peerless. And that's why June Murphy calls him hero. hurt my ears you got the pipes back try to make me look bad though As you stood up trying to fall down i didn't like that all that much but oh well all right let's praise our lord in the close philippians 4 6 stop worrying about anything instead in everything by prayer and petition with an attitude of thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god the father And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, and the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for your magnificence in providing everything that we need to thrive. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us. Thank you for the confidence we have that because you sent your Son to die for us, that you'll take care of everything else. Thank you for your faithfulness. As we go out into the world, let us keep our spiritual eyes open. Help us to gravitate away from idols and idolatry. Help us to fix our eyes on your son, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And help us to be a blessing to everyone we meet, one person at a time, by sharing the three simple principles of the gospel message. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.